Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is in loving memory of Myron Mike Rishti Alava Shalom Lilushmat Meir Ben Rachel, sponsored by his daughter Robin Rishti Beta. And as well, uh, the week of Breakfast in the Class has been dedicated for the health and happiness of their family and for the Shiduchim of their children, sponsored by Drs. Habib and Rhonda Manos. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in honor of Ted Fletcher, Fletcher, Felcher, Tovia Bat David, in celebration of their first wedding anniversary on the 29th of Av. May Hashem bless you with a strong health, Panasah Mazal, Nachat Shalom Bayit, and the strength to continue your incredible impact on the Jewish community as a Hatzalah EMT. May we soon merit building a Bayit in Eman Bisrael with healthy and happy children with Hashem, sponsored with love by his wife, Caroline Felcher, Karabatlea. Happy anniversary. What a magnificent <laughs> gift. Week of breakfast in the class dedicated in loving memory of Amy Haber Alea Shalom Lilushmat Kito Brachabat Alta Lea. An amazing mother, wife, daughter, and friend during the week of her Azkara. We love you and miss you, Jimmy and Nathan Haber. As well, uh, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra, Leah Bat, Dov HaKohen, Vechana, in honor of her incredible philanthropy, which has spread throughout the world. Breakfast in the Class is also um, sponsored for the speedy and the complete Fuash of Yaakov and Sarah, dedicated by his children, El Narefaralo. And in loving memory, Emil Ben Rachel, sponsored by Joe Stambouli. Breakfast in the class dedicated loving memory of Gabriel Amos, his brother Rabbi Pinhas Amos. Sponsored by Annette and Gabriel Amos. And in loving memory of Malka Simantov, Malka Badina Mashiach, sponsored by the Simantov family. Uh, loving memory of Edmund Ashkenazi, is Rabbi Magalit, sponsored anonymously. And finally, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to, good to, to, to do good today and every day. Today's broadcast is coming to you from uh, Panama, where we find ourselves here for the wedding of our very, very dear friends, uh, the uh, son of the firstborn, the Bechor, of, uh, of my dear friend Didier and Alicia Hafez, uh, Mabruk, uh, to their child, to their son Nisim and Yvette uh, Adis, and as well to Joe and Rita Adis, uh, on this incredible occasion, the occasion, the occasion of uh, of the marriage of their children, Bezad Hashem, they should be zocher to build a bait neeman Israel. Our parasha begins by telling us about the wonderful be'achot and kilalot that lie in front of every single Jewish person. They have the opportunity to choose uh, between a life of goodness and all sorts of difficulty. But it tells us that when we finally get that good and we arrive in Eretz Israel, we arrive in the Promised Land. It tells us to be very careful. I want you to make sure, because I'm nervous, says God, that you'll stray after other gods. You'll do Abu Dazara, etc., etc. Therefore, Hashem commands us, and look, it's pasuk after pasuk after pasuk. Take all the places of idol worship and destroy them. Um, the, uh, the, the temples on the high mountains, uh, underneath all the trees they used to put underneath every tree as they thought that that's what would make it grow and you will um, destroy them the, uh, the altars and you will break their matzevot all of the the, uh, the uh, pillars and the, and the statues that they put up and the, uh, the tree idol worship that they have uh, they'll burn it. Chop them down. So chop, destroy, break apart, uproot, all these languages that we're hearing about with regards to Abu Dazara, that you need to destroy the Abu Dazara wherever you may find it. Now it's interesting to me because 
Um, the Pasuk then continues and says, Don't do the same to God. Now that sounds a little bit crazy to me. You know, you think the Torah needs to tell you, don't destroy, uproot, burn down, destroy his Mizbeach. Does it need to tell you, you know, please, when you build a beautiful synagogue, don't uproot it, burn it to the ground, destroy it, spit on it. You have a separate Torah, don't erase it. You know, we're talking about Abu Dazara, of course. Is it required to tell us, don't do that to Hashem your God? Who would have thought of doing that? There's a very interesting law. We learn the laws by a korban, by korbanot. If a person wants to bring a korban and the korban has a mum, has a blemish, um, the Gemara brings a pasuk brought down in the Navi. The Navi says, you want to know if you should bring uh, a, a sacrifice that has a mum, that has a, a blemish on it. So you're not sure if the blemish is appropriate or not. So the Torah gives you a list of blemishes. But then in the Navi, the Navi adds one line. Hakrivehu na lefechatecha. Would you sacrifice this? Would you bring this korban, this present, to the local king, to the governor, to the person who's in charge of your area? You know, would you do that if you wanted? You know, fanecha. You know, would he would he would he show you favor if you brought him the animal with a broken leg? You know, here's a present. Here's my defective camel, my defective sheep. What's the guy going to do? We'll chop off your head. What a disgrace that you brought him such a such a korban. So if even on that. Even on not bringing the perfect sacrifice, everybody understands. You wouldn't do that to your local governor. Don't do it to God. So why do we need this commandment? So Rashi is bothered by this question exactly. And he says, therefore, no, it's not what it means. No, it means that just you finding all these mizbechot uh, uh, all around Israel, you also should not do a korban on a bama, not in the place of the Beit HaMikdash. Rather, once the Beit HaMikdash is, is built, even though Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they all do korbanot, Adam Adishon, they all do korbanot in all different places, uh, around, uh, around wherever they, a miracle happened to them. Even Sham is Hashem. Once the Beit HaMikdash was settled, the place that God chose, now you can't bring a korban on a bama. That's what Rashi explains. Rashi's second understanding is, You destroy the Mizbeach, you wipe out their name from under the sky. It's Azara, it's telling you, you're not allowed to erase the name of God. Interesting, by the way. What happens if you take a tape recorder, and you record a shi'ur, and a guy says the name of God on the shi'ur. Are you allowed to tape over the tape and record a song or another shi'ur? Is that mechikat Hashem? Who asks this question? Chamovadia. Chamovadia discusses it. He says it's not an example. Same question, by the way. You store a document, and in the document you have a pasuk, and the pasuk says the name of Yudke Vavke. Are you allowed to erase the document? Yes or no? You're allowed to delete it. Uh, these things are questions brought down the post scheme. So you see that isur, that discussion comes from here. That you can't wipe out the name of God. Or to take out, or to destroy a stone uh, from the Mizbeach. Amar Rabbi Ishmael, Rabbi Ishmael asks our question, Rashi says. Do you going to think that a Jew is going to come and start the uprooting, breaking the stones of Beit HaMikdash? He says, no. The Pasuk is not telling you not to destroy the Beit HaMikdash. 
It's not telling you you shouldn't do that to God. That everybody knows. What it's saying is, don't do things like Senat Chinam, which are going to cause the Beit HaMikdash to be destroyed. I destroyed the nations of the Eretz Israel before you came because you were supposed to come. But if God forbid you don't deserve Eretz Israel, Eretz Israel is going to be destroyed. And then what will happen? The Beit HaMikdash will be destroyed. So you will have caused for the Beit HaMikdash to be destroyed, to be burned in fire, just like what you did to Abu Dazara, it's going to happen to your Beit HaMikdash. So the Isur therefore is on those things. What that means is a concept of Isur Chal Al Isur. Generally we say, and Isur Chal Al Isur. But there's a Halakha, um, which, which, which states that there's certain times when a person, if they do one Avon, they could get two punishments. So as an example, every time you speak Lashon Ara, besides for the sin of Lotelech Rachil Ba'amecha, Besides for the sin of makeh re'eu basater, there's also another isur. What's the isur? A bitul aseh of ve'ahavta re'echad kamocha. There's a mitzvah, positive commandment in Torah, you have to love your friend like yourself. Do you want anyone speaking badly about you? You don't. What that means is if I speak negatively about you, I've broken the commandment of ve'ahavta so there's many mitzvot that overlap one over the other. So you might do one thing wrong, get to Shamayim, Hashem charges you for nine things. Could you imagine that? Okay, Rabotai, um, all of this is all in Rashi. But I wanted to maybe perhaps bring another angle, another concept here uh, to the discussion. Why, why is it that these things all needed to be destroyed? We've been discussing up until now the destruction of Abu Dazara and all of its forms the temples, the statues, the mizbeach, the, if there's a asherah tree, a tree that they would bow down, burn the tree down. I have a question. We know there's a, elsewhere in, the, in uh, Devarim, we talk about this idea that you're going to get to Eretz Israel and you're going to find batim meleim kol tub. Houses that are filled with all sorts of good things. Machloken and Rishonim, exactly what that means. What they were allowed, to, what they were going to find and what that meant they were allowed to do. One uh, understanding is that they would arrive and they'd find treasures in the houses. Great, a house filled with all good. Another opinion says that if they found something in the house, the Torah was telling you that anything that you find in the house is tub, it's good. And if, if you found something which was not kosher in the house, you'd be allowed to eat it. Because the batim eleim kol tub, fascinating concept. Again, not something that's necessarily relevant, but an uh, interesting idea. We don't say about those houses, you have to destroy them. Who knows what kind of Averot they did in those houses? Barmenan. what they had in those houses. Maybe they even ordered from Uvi Eats without checking the kosher section. Who knows? Okay? They did all sorts of crazy things. We're sure in the house. The halakha is not destroy the house. You're allowed to use the house. It doesn't say that in the bedroom where they had Arayot, destroy the bedroom. In the living room where they bowed down to idols, destroy the living room. doesn't say it. Kitchen, they cooked taref, destroy the kitchen. doesn't say it. So why is it that when it comes to the house, we're allowed to use that which they left over, we don't need to destroy it. And when it comes to the Asherah tree, you know, you don't have to destroy it. That you have to burn it. Why can't I enjoy this Asherah tree? What's the problem? Now, I want to share. In the laws of, uh, of, uh, uh, of Abu Dazara, there are certain things that create a concept of Ne'evad, where a person has to destroy something that was once served, which was once served certain things that could have it in Ne'evad, certain things that could not have it in Ne'evad. I'm not getting into that. I'm asking you here, I'm talking to you here on a hashkafa level, on an outlook level. What the Torah is saying is something that for us, for me and for you, is very hard to understand. 
You know, for you and for me, we have no, we have zero inclination to want to bow down to a statue. You know, you walk in the street, you see a big statue to a general, you see a big statue to about whatever it is. You never felt like, oh, you know what? Ask the driver, do we have time to stop so I could just bow down quickly? I'll be quick, I'll just jump off the bus, I'll bow down, we'll carry on. No one has ever felt the pull of Abu Dazara. And the reason for that is, Al-Chachamim explained, is that our, uh, the Chazal, when the, the destruction of the temple, they were able to um, eradicate, before the destruction of the temple actually, they were able to, dis- to eradicate the Abu Dazara, the desire. So we don't have that desire, so we don't understand it. But there was once a desire um, for Abu Dazara, an unbelievable, overwhelming desire. Now, if that's something which you don't necessarily understand, so maybe a way of looking at it is, think of a sin that someone struggles with that for you means nothing. Like as an example, in my life, I never felt, oh, if only I could eat octopus, squid. I never felt a drive to be able to eat that. For me, that's not something which is appetizing. So there's no yetzehara, so there's no battle whether or not I'm going to eat that kosher. If it's chalav Yisrael, not chalav Yisrael. If it's bishu Yisrael, pesafaradim, ashkenazim. You might have something which is in the realm of your nisayon. Even as an example, a person might be walking past, uh, you know, a, a delicious uh, non-kosher restaurant. And you smell the smells. You might feel, wow, that smells so delicious. You're not entertaining even walking in. But there's a yetzehara, smells good. I wish I could have it as an example. However, octopus, I feel nothing. I remember once I was walking in Hong Kong in the market, and they had all these taref, uh seafood. Like some guy was driving by with a bloody dog on the back of his uh, on the back of his uh, uh, motorcycle, you know, on the way to feed his family. I did not feel not even one tiny ounce of drive to eat dog, right? Um, or to eat, uh, you know, these different types of seafood. I didn't feel it. That's how we have to understand the Abu Dazarab Yetzirah was like. Right now, we're not relating to it. But now think of, if you could think of Avera that you feel no pull towards, think for one second of your biggest challenge, your biggest Nisayon, something which is so hard for you every time. It might be Lashon Ara, it might be honesty in business, it might be kosher, it might be, uh, what's it called, uh, I, having a jealousy of somebody. You know, that's just how I am. It might be losing your temper, Whatever is the most difficult thing for you to overcome. Um, the Gemara tells us that in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, the dry for Abu Dazara was like that. So much so that the Gemara tells us that Menashe came to a certain rabbi in a dream who was making fun of him. And he said, if you would have been alive in my time, you would have been lifting the hem of your robe. They used to wear the robes, like long uh, robes. You've been lifting the hem of the robe so that you could run faster to Abu Dazara. He was saying it from the Olam HaEmet. He wasn't joking. He wasn't exaggerating. He was telling this rabbi, it was a great rabbi, that you maybe, you also would have fell, you know, in this, in this Nisayon. So therefore the Torah tells us, you have to destroy the Abu Dazara. The drive Abu Dazara is too strong, you have to destroy it. And I learned from here a tremendous lesson. You know, there are times, and there are Averot, there's difficult situations and challenges that a person, you know, they can trust themselves to live around, that they could trust themselves to live with. I'm not saying you put yourself in a situation of, uh, of, of Nisayon. Like we say every day, don't bring me to, to, a, to a test. But a person could exist 
with the test around them and not necessarily fall or fail in that Nisayon. But there's certain Averot, and everybody knows which Averot those are for you, where if you have that thing on the table in front of you, the chances of you succeeding are very low. The chances of you failing are terrible. The Torah says that in a scenario like that, there's no dealing with the Nisayon, not dealing with the Nisayon, getting Chizuk, learning more about it, destroy it, get rid of it. It can't be in the, in the Dalit Amot. They say an unbelievable story with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Once Rabbi Yisrael Salanter was in a room with somebody, the man was counting out money, he needed to go get some more money, maybe to complete the transaction, I don't know. As he walks out, he sees Rabbi Yisrael Salanter running out behind him. He says, what are you doing? Why are you running out? I'm going to be right back. He says, you know, there's a law that says Yehuda, a person is not supposed to be secluded with another woman, with a woman uh, that's not his wife, in a room where no one else knows where they are, where no one will see them, etc., etc. Because it's a big challenge. But something might happen, uh, you know, between them. So Yisrael Salanter said the same way there's Yichud with uh, a, a woman, for a person to be a, an unmarried person. I don't know if you know Mike Pence. There was a lot of stuff that went on with him, the vice president. He explained this concept. And he told them, look, you know, this is my, uh, this is what I do. This is my safeguard. This is my, you know, my gather, my, my fence around it. And they all made fun of him. And then during his presidency, look, we saw what came out about all politicians, all these powerful people. And they started to understand that maybe the laws of Yehud are actually brilliant. And they'll save a person, uh, even a good person, from making mistakes. Rabbi Yisrael Salander says if there's Yehud like this by someone, by a woman, there's also Yehud for a pile of money. Maybe I'll take the money, maybe I'll put some in my pocket. I don't know. Now Rabbi Yisrael Salander is a big sadiq. And he felt even on that, he needed to not be in the situation at all. The concept of destroying Abu Dazara was that if I have to live in Eretz Israel, this is where I live. You know, I have a choice to not be in the same place as that thing. I don't have to run around destroying everything. But I have my choice. I don't have to live there. But if this is where I live, so I can't have that thing here. When a person is building the home that they want to build, and they think to themselves, you know what? I'm fine. It's fine. It's going to be okay. You know, I could have my house could be like this. My family, my children. Uh, unfortunately, not always does that prove to be the case. And those things that they thought they were safe, that they had in their house. Again, I want to be clear. I'm not telling you what it is that you shouldn't allow into the house. I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you what it is in your life which Nisayon actually counts for this for you. Only you, only you will know that. But there are things that a person cannot coexist with. Did you hear that? There are things that a person cannot coexist with. He can't have them in his life. I'll give you an example. Let's say you know a diabetic. This guy has a sweet tooth. All uh, the halabiyeh, when they grew up, they grew up with baklawa. First, it's like 9 million grams of sugar. And then they pour honey on top of the sugar. And then on top of the honey, they have another kind of honey, two kinds of honey. And then they make sure that if the honey kind of dried off for one second, you see at the weddings now, they have a bag dripping honey, moving like this back and forth, you know, back and forth, back and forth, on top of the, the baklawa, on top of the kanafe, that there shouldn't be one inch of it that isn't soaked fresh. With new honey. You grow up like that. 
But not a person has high blood sugar. They have chasrish only they can be diabetic. For a person like that, candies, sweets, uh, these uh, uh, Syrian pastries and delicacies, it's poison. So imagine you have someone in your family, they can't help themselves. Every time they have it, they have it. You, their numbers are skyrocketing. The person, it could kill him. What do you do if you're the son? You take it away. You don't have it in the house. You have a person who's suffering with some sort of uh, obesity eating disorder. They, they're constantly eating, 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 and now they're sick from all the food that they have. You're their father, you're their brother, you're their sister. You make sure that what they have in their refrigerator is only healthy food. Because this person is not making good choices. My friends, the Torah is asking us over here, be honest. If you find something that you're not capable of living with, so eliminate it, destroy it, don't have it in your Dalid Amot, in your four square you know, uh, Amot. They should not be next to you. My friends, maybe perhaps when we understand this idea, this Peshat, in the destruction of Abu Dazarah, we understand what the Pasuk is telling you. Don't do this to Hashem your God. What are we referring to? There's times, as an example, when a person knows in the process of becoming more religious, of strengthening oneself, becoming a Baal Teshuvah, and I have a secret for you, all of us are Baal Teshuvah. Every one of us is growing, none of us is done. And you know how I know you're not done? Because if you were done, you'd be dead. There must be, if you were given another day, it must be you have another dargah. You have another rung on the ladder that you're supposed to be climbing. So what happens when a person recognizes that there's something above their level? And there are times, I must share this with you, there are times when a person in Yahadut, they think they're becoming more strict, but actually that strictness that they're employing in their life is actually ruining their religion. You have a person, as an example, new, fresh Ba'al Teshuvah, he wants to keep the highest level of kosher. Like, not just level, not just halakha, strict chumrah on top of strict chumrah on top of strict chumrah. Now, the area he lives in, there's not one restaurant that has that high level of, of kashrut. So what happens? Day one, he feels like a hero. Day two, amazing. Three weeks in, what does the guy feel like? He resents kashrut. He resents religion. You have this many, many times. A person is trying to go from zero to hero. Yesterday, the guy didn't know how to read. Today, he learned about tefillah. He thinks, wow, I have to be a minyan three times a day. You do have to be a minyan three times a day. But you don't have to go from zero reading of tefillah to minyan in shul three times a day. There's a process. And the only way to do it in a healthy way is to do it slowly. So could you imagine a person has a religious thing which is harming him? So you'd think, says the Pasuk, that the same thing would apply. That actually, you know what? Destroy it. Take it out of my field of vision. Don't have it here. It's causing me damage. Says the Pasuk, no. When it comes to God, don't move that or remove that from your life. The opposite. Keep it there as a reminder of where you're heading. It doesn't have to be that you're doing it now. 
But it has to be that you're looking ahead towards a time when you're actually going to do it. The halakha tells us that a person, if they don't understand Hebrew, they should pray in English. So someone once asked me, do I, Rabbi, would you recommend that I get a Hebrew-English uh, sidur? Or should I get a sidur that's all written in English? I don't read Hebrew anyway. I told him, get a Hebrew-English sidur. He said, why? It's double as thick, and I never read any of those pages. I said, if only, the only thing you're using is an English sidur today, then tomorrow, the next day, and next year, you're only going to be using an English sidur. Because there is no other side of the page, only English. However, if every day there's a Hebrew side, an English side, and you're reading here, and you notice this is here, then that label is, that level is calling to you. It's there, it's waiting. It, it makes you realize that maybe, you know what, I really should start learning some Hebrew classes. I really should start getting involved. I really should start maybe, you know, listening, you know, asking the rabbi to make a recording. It's one of the things actually that I did. I made recordings of Birkat Amazon, of the Amidah, of Shema. And when people don't know how, of Asher Yatsar, of Borenif Ashot, when people don't know how to make the Berachah and they want to start learning, I'll send them a recording on WhatsApp. Anyone can reach out to me and I'll send it to you. And they listen to it again and again. And next thing you know, you know how to pray in Hebrew. If a person is setting their sights high, then there's a place to grow. But if you remove it from your, uh, from your field of vision, like you were doing for those other Nisyonot, you know that this is really pushing you too far in Judaism. But you know what? Keep it there. Keep the Birkat Amazon on the table, even if people are not doing Birkat Amazon. You know, keep the, what's it called? You know, have the Korbanot in the synagogue, even if most people are not arriving to Korbanot. You know why? Because eventually, they'll see that there's people there, and then eventually, maybe they'll join for that as well. Hashem should bless us to always be rising one level after the next, the Ma'alot, and all of the uh, uh, advantages of Judaism, of Torah, and of Mitzvot. Baruch Amen ve